0: Welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with analytics, informatics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician, a CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today I'm bringing you Dr. Matt Mesnick, who is the Chief Medical Officer at Spoke, a communications company, but also has a phenomenal entrepreneurial background, has been involved with informatics for a long time, and I'm thrilled to introduce him to the show. Hey, Matt, how's it going?
1: Doing all right, Mark. Thanks for having me.
0: glad you could spend a little bit of time with us. So I'll start off with my usual first question. If you would, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to the position you're in today.
1: Oh, happy to! And uh, ran an emergency department in Saint Paul, Minnesota, where I was born and raised. Actually, it was the hospital I was born in, so it was kind of a legacy physician there. And also ran urgent care clinics at a large multi specialty group. In the Twin Cities, I had about ten locations, 180 providers, and but I was thrust into a management role very early in my career. About a year out of training, in my first ED job, I wound up becoming the medical director, and found that I had a real enjoyment of management. Unlike a lot of my colleagues, I actually did like to sit down and work in the management area. I was very interested in revenue cycle management. I was always trying to understand how money th- flowed through the system. A lot of my colleagues had no clue or no desire to learn about coding and billing, had no um, understanding of how bills dropped. I found that if how the money flows and how bills drop, your value in healthcare management skyrockets. And one of the other things I worked on a lot were clinical workflows and really try, uh, try to embrace those areas. So, most, like I said, most of my physician colleagues just didn't understand that workflow, and it's something that I embraced. But Minnesota historically has been an area that's been on a leading and usually bleeding edge of healthcare reform, and particularly when it comes to reimbursement reform. So we, you know, for better or worse, uh, developed the HMO and PPOs. There's a reason that United Health group is based out of here we rapidly went from fee-for-service to capitation to manage fee-for-service and to total at-risk care delivery models and like i said bled every step of the way i was fortunate to get involved in health information technology in the very early 90s i, I worked in the early days of, of voice-to-text voice recognition systems and helped develop an early version of discrete speech for emergency medicine and that's when you had to develop vocabularies and pause after every word. And, uh, <laughs> and so the you had to develop the vocabulary. And so there was, a, at that time, there was pathology, radiology, and emergency medicine. were are you gonna know, the three voice-to-text systems that were being brought up at that time. And from those connections wound up getting involved into the EMR world. So became a consultant to one of the largest EMR players at the time, helped them develop uh, their first couple iterations of their uh, electronic medical record system. And I liked the area so much that I decided to jump out with a couple of colleagues of mine and start an EMR company in California was originally called iMedica, then became a Prima, and it was a outpatient ambulatory system still around. It was recently acquired about a year or so ago by EMDs, and so that was kind of like my first real foray into the real depths of health IT. And I was a CMO for that company for a few years, and at the same token, I always tried to maintain my clinical chops, along with a couple of colleagues of mine. I opened up an urgent care clinic, in a suburb of the Twin Cities and used that clinic as also a, an alpha and beta testing site for uh, EMR and which was really helpful uh, along the way and, and that's that part. In addition, a company was locally it was being started called it was originally called Quick Med-X and then morphed into what was now known as Minute Clinic. And I used to originally look at them as my competition. They were stealing my cheese and I always thought that they were looked at them with a kind of a jaded eye Uh, until a friend of mine became their first chief medical officer. He and I trained together, and he brought me in to help with physician management as the company was starting to ramp up. And then over a couple years, I wound up being recruited in to be their chief medical officer. So when I joined MinuteClinic, we were just being purchased by CVS, and at that time we had about 80 clinics in nine states. And we had this uh, great relationship with CVS, they gave us a lot of money to grow and they left us alone. And the only rules we had at the time were grow as fast as you can. And to my mind that had another caveat on there, and that was to do that as safely and with the best patient care approach as possible. So it was a, a really great experience, tremendous team that we worked with. But and as part of that, we re- developed this interesting model to launch into new markets in a really efficient way. We literally shrink wrap Clinic onto a pallet. Any new CVS pharmacies that were being built were roughed in to be able to ha- house a minute a clinic. They had the plumbing stubbed out and the electrical uh, wiring was was placed. And that if and when we were going to use that particular location, we would literally ship a shrink-wrapped uh, pallet that had all the cabinets and disposable equipment. All the supplies would be needed and uh, on that pallet. And literally you could just slide it in to the space at that pharmacy. And over a 48 hour period, uh, be up and running. And uh, so we literally opened uh, 350 clinics in 18 months, and that was quite a uh, interesting ride, developed our own electronic medical record system. so to try to have consistent care delivery from to be treated the same way for a sore throat in Boston as you would in Minneapolis or in LA. And uh, so tremendously, Interesting ride. Learned a lot about the whole retail aspects of healthcare. We literally created the whole new market of retail healthcare. But from working with CVS, trying learned a lot about how to track what patients are buying and how things are linked to the medications they take. But historically, we tried to put up a a firewall between retail and healthcare. But after a while, I realized that uh, a lot of the services that we provided really could benefit from understanding their the real consumer approach to care delivery. And so that was a very interesting education. Over the years, it grew, grew a Clinic to around 650 clinics when I left in the beginning of 2011, and we were seeing over 12 million patients a year. At that time, uh, CVS decided to exercise their authority and wanted to relocate us at, to their own headquarters out in Rhode Island, and felt that that was a good time for me to part company. So of the 160 plus members of our management and corporate headquarters in Minneapolis, only six migrated to Rhode Island. So it was, I uh, really had a real loss of institutional knowledge at that point, but it was good for me. I wound up having a lot of interesting contacts that I was able to utilize and then jumped into the areas of health information technology and the world's medical devices. So one of the things that I had an opportunity to do was work on some healthcare reform projects in several different countries I worked with the Sichuan province in China the second largest hospital in the world called the West China Hospital a 6000 bed hospital I never seen anything that size before their average daily ER and ambulatory outpatient visit volume was over 20,000 patients a day and they saw an average of about 2 million patients outpatients a year between the emergency department and clinics and other ambulatory areas So again, tremendously interesting. They have a very centralized care model. Try to work with them to decentralize that. And then also got involved with a couple other opportunities in other countries uh, in the Middle East with similar issues. In conjunction with that, had a chance to work with some interesting medical device companies. One was in vitro diagnostic point of care company, kind of a, a lab on a chip that could do CBCs and chemistries. Another one was an Australian health IT company that uh, could diagnose mental illnesses based on circadian heart rate uh, variability uh, monitoring your your heart rate and variability over a sleep period, a couple hours before you went to bed, through sleep, and then a couple hours after you woke up, and did some really interesting work with those folks. And then more recently was working with a spinoff at the University of Minnesota from the director of medical engineering at the University of Minnesota. We had developed a point of care tests, lateral flow assays for common problems like strep, flu, and other infectious diseases but what was really interesting is that we had developed some technology where we could increase the sensitivity of those tests by over um, anywhere between 10x to 100x and uh, keep them extremely inexpensive and extremely rapid and that group now is is working on uh, one for uh, the SARS-2 coronavirus so it's uh It's been a kind of a fun ride last summer a uh, recruiting company reached out to me and asked me if i would be interested in a cmo position at uh, spoke i had a little bit of knowledge of spoke in the past and what really uh, got me interested was i knew that they were a clinical communications company i know that historically they'd been in the wireless paging business and had you know managed and controlled uh, millions of pagers over uh, a number of years they had their own wireless infrastructure with wireless towers across the country, I think some 3,300. And they developed uh, a place in, the, in hospitals in contact centers where they it would help control the physician and staff directories and, and um, on-call schedules, run codes and, and uh, alerts through their network and uh, through pages or smartphones, et cetera. And they're in more than 2,200 hospitals across the country. And and what really got me interested was when I had a chance to sit down with their CTO, John Lalonde, and I understood that they had decided a couple of years ago to make a conscious decision to pivot and offer a more clinical facing solution that we're calling Spoke Go. In order to make that work, they built from the ground up a cloud native platform on AWS to maximize and take advantage of the cloud functionality. And uh, so I've been fortunate to work with groups like uh, yourself at PRM- PRMC. You guys have been great as uh, serving as one of our alpha and beta sites for SpokeGo. We formally launched the production version of SpokeGo in February, and we were planning to show it to the world at HIMSS in March, but unfortunately we were beaten to the punch by COVID-19.
0: That's great. I think it's a fantastic journey to hear how you got to where you are. Uh, Just to highlight one of the lines that just resonated and I thought is really important for CMIOs to know is when you said that you were one who wanted to know about how the charges dropped and that the ones who do that have significantly higher value in healthcare. That is very, very true for the CMIO as well as probably the CMO positions that those who understand the finances and how the money flows definitely seem to have a leg up in the world. And although the tech is where we like to focus, it's the money is where is where things happen. So uh, yeah, and that's, I think, that's a really good point.
1: Yeah, and what's interesting, uh, even in the EMR world, it's like if you were strictly an EMR player, you were kind of a one trick pony. And early on as a company, we made a conscious decision when I was in the EMR space to develop a, a single platform that was both practice management and EMR all together in one. So you didn't have issues in terms of trying to interface and move clinical data to try to fire off coding and and, and billing scenarios. And so it really does all come down to revenue cycle management. And if you don't understand it, and it's sort of like Having gone through being a VP of medical affairs and a CMIO of a large multi-specialty group, and then having to train physicians on coding and billing, it was interesting because the group I had been involved with, you know, we had about 180 plus providers, and that group historically was an HMO capitated group. And so they really didn't care. It didn't make any difference into how their reimbursement on how they coded or what their documentation was like. And then they got smacked upside the head after about 10 years of being very successful in managing patients and keeping their average length of stay down. In a capitated world, they were doing fantastic. But when the rug got pulled up under them and it became a managed fee for service world where you had to apply the best principles of capitation in a fee for service environment, they got killed. They had no clue how to document well. They had never really coded. Like I said, they just kind of ignored it. And so having to train up this group of physicians and, and mid-level providers was an unbelievably believable to- uh, chore. And that's one of the reasons that I think EMRs slowly started to take off because of them trying to help providers to document better, code better, and improve their bottom line. So it's, I think, in the health IT world, especially in EMR world that was a, a big driver but as you said I think if a lot of physicians, especially in staff model organizations just kind of look at themselves as salaried workers as opposed to being part of the team and if the the, the better they document the better they code the better the organization does a lot of them, a lot of our, our colleagues don't look at it that way
0: yeah, that's true. That's true. So since we're talking about EMRs, and I want to blend your knowledge of EMR and communications together here a little bit. Uh, I like when I'm in my EMR to stay in my EMR. I want to get that communication out. So if I'm trying to get to a colleague, I want I would like to be able to do that from the EMR and stay in context of the patient and have that conversation of the patient with the patient's information, their chart, their labs, their imaging studies that we can collaborate around. So can I do it all from the EMR? Is the EMR perfect at this? How does this work?
1: Yeah, so I think the, again, having a strong EMR background, I'd love to say yes, but I think one of the reasons that we've had issues with emr adoption over time is that it does miss a few things so i think emr are is, are, are great data repositories and if you need to find something look of a value look at the medications allergies uh, past medical history th- test results etc that that's the place to go the problem that exists i think is that it's a passive uh, receptacle of that information and i think what we're really looking at now in healthcare is is how do we activate it? And how do we improve efficiencies in workflow? And so that's one of the areas that I've been really intrigued by. And I think that bespoke we're starting to roll up our sleeves and really get excited about, and that is trying to activate the data that's in EHRs. So there are lots of clinical decisions, uh, support mechanisms that are in EHRs. Obviously there are results that are coming through. There are alerts that are coming in. The problem is that you have to log in to the ehr and then log into the uh, specific patient record to be able to see those alerts and warnings and take advantage of the cds that's in there and so one of the things that spoke is doing is really trying to like i said activate that so that when that data hits whether it comes from a, a lab result from lis or a x-ray result or a path report or the, there's a patient deterioration alert that the EMR itself generates, is then instead of waiting until another staff member logs in at another point in time. So let's take an example of sepsis. So you can have a be making rounds on a patient at 7.30 or 8 in the morning, and we might be in for a UTI, and the lab comes and draws their CBC at 7.30 or 8, Results come back at 9, their white counts elevated, that in combination with maybe a lactate level. Their temperature triggered a, a MUSE score that was high enough to alert the sepsis system, messaging or a sepsis alert. And the problem is that unless the next time you know, anybody's going to see that is when they log in that, that patient's uh, record, which possibly could be a change of shift around 2.30 or 3 in the afternoon. Whereas what, we, what we've demonstrated, we worked with the University of Utah on this a year, a year and a half ago, is we took sepsis alerts from their EHR and fired off a page directly to the sepsis care team that they had. And so it could be the rounding service, it could be individual care team, all that stuff is, can all be mapped out. But the nice part about it is that then it's dealt with at the time that the alert fires off as opposed to when somebody goes back and checks that record. So that's just one area. I think the other areas that we're really interested in are other alerts that take place when messages, so when critical results are coming through. Right now, a lot of hospitals, these are all manual processes that are done where they'll pick up a phone, Call, try to call the ordering provider or call the station that the order came through and then they need to contact the ordering provider and, and have this kind of chase your tail process to get it all documented as opposed to doing automation of critical test result messaging. So literally if it fires off from the LIS and go directly to the ordering provider and then we have escalations built in if that ordering provider is not available to go to the next member of the care team or however that they wanna set it up. And again, what we're trying to do is automate that process and really turn all the valuable information and data that's in the EHR and automate it and turn it into actionable items. The other piece that I'd say is that the EMRs are expensive systems and they're usually on a licensing model and most hospitals don't provide EMR logins to housekeeping and transportation and maintenance, and so when you're trying to turn over rooms, hospital rooms, when a patient's being discharged, or you're trying to mobilize and get them up to the from the ED as fast as possible on admission, it's nice to be able to be able to message everybody simultaneously, which you're probably unlikely to do in, a, in a, trying to use EMR communication systems. So a lot of EMRs are using voice over IP and Wi-Fi devices, but uh, the problem is that. You can only use those when you're logged into the EHR. And so if you're not on campus, you're not going to be able to get a message. And obviously, if you don't have a license, you're not going to be able to use that system. So we've gotten to uh, a point of doing a subscription model where we want everybody in the organization to be able to use our communication platform. And so for that reason, again, we can take those uh, messages and, and workflows that are in EHRs And distributed throughout the entire organization of the hospital. As CMIOs we always want to get that clinical decision
0: support in front of the right person the right part of their workflow and with these urgent type messages the sepsis one was a great clinical use case that you mentioned we want to get that in front of someone right away so what we do we hit them on chart opening and that's just not usually the right part of the workflow so at least if it comes to me through a different channel that I can then decide, okay, I see it and I know it's there and I'm gonna get to it. I'll finish up what I'm doing and then I'm gonna make time for that particular event. I love the way that that helps with one of the five rights of clinical decision support is just to give me the information and then I'll put it into the workflow where I need it rather than ambushing me when I log into the chart and I'm just gonna dismiss it because I went into the chart to do something else.
1: So nice. yeah, and a lot of times know, like you're that. you're not going to be near a chart, and so with EHR APIs that we're, we have in the process of integration right now, what'll be nice is that literally when you get an alert, you'd be able to and let's say you got an alert and you're at home or you're you know nowhere near a workstation to be able to log into somebody's chart you'd be able to, through a link in the in message, be able to go into that patient's chart and either access the particular test results, look at medications and, and make appropriate contacts and be able to help manage that patient. So I want to challenge you with a different type of
0: communication question because I hear a lot about the use cases of the clinician to clinician, but what about patient to a clinician? and? In this world of covid today that people are in isolation and so i'm walking down the hallway in the hospital yesterday and i figured hmm, we may have a communication problem because all i hear is the patient screaming out nurse nurse and every clinician knows this we've all heard it that's to me if that's our communication i mean it's better than the smoke signal but not by much what can we do to improve that type of communication
1: well um- pleasantly challenged by, by working with uh, your team at PRMC on nurse call. And uh, we think that is a tremendous area because uh, we see right now that there's a lot of wasted effort both on patients trying to get the, get somebody to come and help them, but also in nurses and aides and hucks going back and forth to patient rooms needlessly. So one of the things that we're working on is is either doing things freestanding or integrating with existing nurse call devices. So what we want to try to avoid is that when uh, a patient hits a their call button in their room, that it's not just that a light that displays on the, at the nurse's station or a beep that goes off. We want we'll be sending, the patients will have, have the ability to communicate their needs. So if they need pain medication, they have a need to assistance to go to the bathroom, they're looking for somebody to eat or drink, that that can be communicated directly to the nurse's station, either to their particular nurse, whoever takes their message off. So one of the things that we foster are are group messaging. So literally it can go to the nurse's station team for that patient, whatever uh, station that is. And uh, so, that way, when they get the message, they know what the patient is looking for, and then they can either directly respond and call the patient through the smart device, or they can just bring what they need and make it one trip, as opposed to going to a room, finding out they need assistance, rounding up another staff member to help them get the patient to the bathroom, or going to that patient's room and finding out they need a pain medicine, then having to go back to the drug locker and sign it out, and then come into the room. And you can go to ad infinitum on these scenarios. And the whole purpose that we're trying to do is trying to really decrease the added work. Everybody's got enough to do. Uh, We want the patients to get their care as quickly as possible. And we want the provider staff, the nursing staff, to not have to do any uh, more work than than they need to. And I think the other piece that goes with this too is that I've had the pleasure or pain at times of being a, a patient myself in hospitals and it's the whole you know notion is that uh, the worst place to get rest is actually being a, going to a hospital and between beeps coming off of uh, pulse oximeters that slide off your fingertip or IVs that have a little bubble in the, IV pumps that are dealing with a bubble in the, in the tubing or other alarms uh, in ICUs for uh, what may be uh, relatively normal readings for a, a particular patient. And one of the things is that uh, we pull in all that data off of just about every medical device that's in the hospital, whether it's vital signs monitoring equipment, ventilators, pumps, you name it. And so what we're trying to do is then take that information and based on rules engines applied for that, let's say, particular patient condition, that we alert them the right provider at the right time for that problem and keep the noise down in the patient room and provide the the notification to the individual that can actually do something about it and not just have needless beeping and um, all over the place.
0: So I want to tell you a little personal story because I'm very excited about this technology. It's incredibly important. My wife was recently in the hospital and had a fall. And if that system had been in place, that fall probably would have been prevented. So this is really important stuff. And I am thankful that there are people working on this and and hopefully prevent the type of things that happened and the injury that happened to my wife. So you and I are working a little bit on improving efficiency, clinical efficiency, trying to automate certain things in the workflow, particularly with, I'll give an example, we're trying to get a result comes back, I want to get that patient out of the hospital, and I got to wait until that result comes back, I got to keep checking in the EMR, check it again, check it again to see if that result's back, and that patient wants to go home, I'd like them to go home, the family's waiting, there's gotta be a better way. So I'm excited about this concept of improving clinical efficiency. Talk to me a little bit about where you see that going.
1: Well, I think in that area, time is money, and but it's also satisfaction and uh, good quality care so that they all feed into each other. And this is an area really what baited my hook to jump on board at, at Spoke was trying to work on these uh, and develop the clinical workflows. And the as an emergency physician, you know I'll just pick an, a, take an example that that I like to use is that we talk about even dating back to my residency time where we were just starting to work with lytic agents. And at that time it was uh, time as muscle and we were working on door to needle time. And now we're looking at door to stent time. And so things have, you know, are are improving. And at that time we were happy to get uh, needle times down to like 90 minutes. You know, now we're trying to get uh, uh, door to balloon times down to like 45 minutes. So things have come a long way. But one of the things that as an emergency physician and how we anticipate, we're going to start working with some different clinical innovation partners uh, on specific uh, departmental workflows. But as an example, if I see a chest pain patient in the emergency department, usually after talking to them about uh, a minute or so, I have a really pretty good idea on how we're going to work them up. And if I, want, if it's a patient I really want to rule out for a myocardial infarction. Then what I want to be able to do, and, and we're going with this, is to be able to have an icon on my smartphone that can, in my Spoke Go app, that I can trigger with a chest pain icon, I can trigger simultaneous messages to go to the emergency department nurse, EKG tech, radiology tech, and lab tech to come and start an IV, give the patient O2, give them an aspirin, do their 12-lead EKG, get their portable chest x-ray, draw their rule-out labs, And like I said, do that all simultaneously with the orders entering into the EMR as well. And normally it would take me five to 10 minutes in a busy ER to try to find a nurse and get the ball rolling. And and by doing this, we can speed it up all across the board, improve patient care. And then it allows me then to go on to see another patient and be as efficient as I can with my time. And then the results come back. I'm going to get notified on my smartphone when those results are all back so that I can go and then see the patient and discharge them, either admit them to the hospital or discharge them to home. Now, on the on the patient discharge scenario that you're mentioning, it's another area that we're really um, interested in because there's lots of different drivers depend on depending on the patient's insurance, what care team they're a member of, so in terms of who's the proper discharge team for that patient, making sure you alert the proper team. And so let's take a patient, let's say who's had a total hip replacement and so that usually the orthopedist is going to know there's usually a pretty tried and true timeline for when these patients get discharged and let's say that physician knows on day two that that patient's going to be ready for discharge on day four they can activate through again an icon on their smartphone a discharge process for that patient and that can then activate that discharge team, which could include a message to the DME provider for that patient so that they install the grab bars in the bathroom so that patient doesn't slip and fall, install an elevated toilet seat so they can get it on and off the toilet easier at home. If the patient has a wound infection, that the IV um, antibiotics get delivered before the patient gets home along with the pump that they'll need, and that PT visits are, are scheduled so that the therapist shows up the first post-discharge day and that follow up appointments to uh, ortho clinic and primary care are made and that also discharge instructions can be sent as uh, hypertext links on their text messages that they receive as well as follow up checkup messages can be sent from the hospital to the patient to see how they're doing so I, again i think we're trying to automate these flows and because every hospital does it a little bit differently even different clinic organizations or insurers are gonna have slightly different rules and hoops to jump through. So all this stuff can be choreographed and mapped out and then codified and, and legislated so that you don't wind up having stuff fall through the cracks. You and I know that if patients wind up staying a few hours later, either way, or a few hours later in the hospital, number one, there's an extra day charge. Number two, you might cause a, a delay and getting a patient's room ready for an admission from the emergency department, which could trigger another uh, payment issue because that then sent you over on uh, the number of patients that weren't admitted from the emergency department within a particular time window. So it's all additive.
0: Without giving away your secret sauce as a company here, help us CMIOs understand, is this hard to do? I'm particularly interested in that pushing orders into the EMR. The EMR vendors cooperating now. It has interoperability started to really come around where we can do this effectively?
1: Yeah, so I think that, so I'll retract my statement a little bit saying that it's my experience that it. It may not actually be as much as an EMR vendor issue as much as it is, and you all tell me as a as a CIO or a CMIO issue, because a lot of times I, it's always been my experience that it's always much easier, and and IT staff are much more willing to allow data to come out of the EHR than they are to take orders in or anything coming in. So that being said, we are working with a third party that we have the APIs to just about every EHR that we want and that we work with and there's you know one particular EHR that we have a little bit of trouble with but now the does uh,
0: it start with an e it could <laughs> and
1: uh, and that the i think we're we're seeing some movement there certainly the the ONC has rattled the cage and put some hefty fines on on data blocking And so we expect that within the next four to six months or so that I'm really shooting for year end, that every EHR that we want to integrate with, will be able to do that without any problem. Communication projects can be scary
0: for CMIOs, CIOs, CMOs. Getting everyone on that same platform across a system, that just, it can't be easy. You're talking about touching a lot of people here. Are we overthinking this as CMIOs, or is this really, it is a multi-year project with huge resources devoted to it? What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, I think it's like having been an EMR vendor, those were always the case, that it was always, you could only bring up certain departments at a time. You got to keep rotating around. You're always worried about productivity decreases, slowly ramping it up. And in the case of clinical communications, it really is not, I really don't think that's the case. I think what's really interesting is that, and I'm sure you've seen it yourself, is that if you have a better mousetrap, word of mouth gets around and everybody wants to jump on it, And um, especially from the provider side. I think, and what's different, let's say, in the communication side is that, we're talking about all aspects of the hospital. So it's not just physicians and techs and therapists. We're, like I said earlier, we're talking about housekeeping, food service, maintenance, et cetera. So these are you know easy to use systems. It's, it's your phone, man. And so it's text messaging. It's, like I said, calls and alerts. You know we, we're trying to build in, and we do build in the workflows and the routing. So that it is just a a simple task. So we try to, as an example, we have the clinical directories of the hospital. So all the physician contact information, all the, we'll pull in the HR data from, so we have all the staff, anybody who's an employee, we get um, all the contact information we need there. We get the on-call schedules uh, from different departments, and then we load those in to our platform so that we have like one source of truth that's sitting in the contact center and then now that's sitting up on the cloud and spoke go. So literally you don't have to go through the operator anymore if you want to find out who's on call or directly contact them. You don't even have to know their name. You don't have to know their phone number. You just start typing in cardiologist and you'll see cardiologist on call pop up and you can just click on that icon and it'll route you to that cardiologist. And so I think that What we've tried to do is make a system that the learning curve is uh, pretty small. Like I said, if you can use your smartphone, you can use this.
0: Our organization just went through an acquisition. And, well, they have a communication system. We have a communication system. That creates some difficulties. What's the value of having a unified communication system? What does that feel like in terms of a difference for the end users?
1: Yeah, so I think this is kind of like the holy grail. You know, we're, it's trying to like, you tell me how many different communication platforms you use now in your system. And I think our experience is that there may be a mass communication platform. There may be a paging platform. There may be a critical alert platform. There may be five or six different communication systems that, depending on the size and complexity of organization, that they're care and feeding for. And we hear it all the time. And one of the reasons that we went to create the SpokeGo as a cloud platform was to be able to have that be a single site to be able to handle unified clinical communications. One of the things that we've also identified is that It's difficult to define what that means. What, what unified clinical communications means. We think that we we are right now in the process of identifying and starting to work with our sites, existing sites become some of our innovation partners to help define that because depending on the size of your organization, you could be a regional hub and you've got to move and deal with transfer centers from, with hospitals in five or six different states. You could be a like PRMC. You've got two or three hospitals that you're working with, and 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 major clinics that you're partnering with, and so it's a, a little bit um, easier, uh, fewer number plates to keep spinning at the same time. So I think that it's all in the eye of the beholder. But I think most CIOs and CTOs will come back and say, the fewer the number, the better.
0: Matt, I want to thank you for your wealth of knowledge that you've just imparted upon us. You have phenomenal background, really interesting about how you got to what you're doing today. And just the whole space of clinical communications is very exciting to think about the potential because it's not something that is universally done well across our healthcare system. Most of the problems I hear, in fact, are communication problems. And if we can improve our communication, I think healthcare becomes a whole lot better for everyone involved. So thank you again for coming on the show.
1: Well thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. And from Spoke, we really appreciate working with you and the team at PRMC. You've been great to work with and looking forward to continued success. If people wanted to reach
0: out to you for follow-up questions, what's the best way to get in touch?
1: Emails the best, Matt.mesnik, M-A-T-T dot M-E-S-N-I-K at spoke, which is spelled like Spock, S S P-O-K dot com.
0: And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.